I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Hello and welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I hope you had a great weekend. Before we start today, two things. First, the usual reminder that you can get rid of all ads in this podcast for just $6 a month by going to stoicism.supercast.com, link in the show notes. You don't need any kind of special app to access the ad-free version of this podcast. You can use whatever app you are already listening on, and that includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, etc., Second, you all know Kai Whiting at this point. He's been somewhat of a regular fixture in the Discord and has appeared on a couple of episodes. His book, Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In, is currently available for 50% off for the holidays through his publisher's website. You can't get it from Amazon. The sale isn't there, but it is on the publisher's website. This is slightly upsetting for me since I've already purchased a few copies at the regular price, but if you haven't done that yet, you're in luck. There's a link in the show notes for you to go and check that out. Please do. It is a great book. And if you've enjoyed Kai and the conversations we've had in this podcast and some of the things he's said in the Discord, well, then you will absolutely enjoy his book. Today, we're going to be going over Meditation 25 from Book 4 of the Meditations, which reads as follows. Try how the life of a good person suits thee, the life of they who are satisfied with their portion of the whole and satisfied with their own acts and benevolent dispositions. Not ready to commit to Stoicism? Well, Marcus is inviting you to try it out, to take it for a test drive. He's saying, look, you don't have to be what I am, but I really think what I've made of myself through this philosophy has some value, some merit. And I bet if you give it a test drive, if you give it a shot, you'd see some things improve about yourself that would make you feel the same way. Our favorite emperor-turned-used-car salesman or used-philosophy salesman is suggesting we try before we buy. I think it might be fun to handle this meditation a little bit differently than previous ones by exploring how one might try out stoicism or take it for a test drive. And let's say that that test drive is, I don't know, let's mirror the meditation Eric and I dove into during our fireside chat and say, 10 days. And if you remember that episode, you're laughing, and if you don't, well, I won't explain it. On day one, you're going to choose to give Stoicism a go. Okay, that was easy. Day one's over. What's next? On day two, you'll want to start diving into the core concepts of Stoicism. Let's start with what we refer to in contemporary times as 
the dichotomy of control. There are things you can control and things you cannot control. What are the things you can control? Your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, and your attitudes. Are there caveats here? Yes. For example, some emotions are proto-emotions or proto-passions, meaning they're almost primordial. An example might be when someone jumps out from around a corner and scares you. You're scared. That's not the sort of emotion you can control, but once you realize the person scaring you is your friend and you know there's no real threat and you get a handle on the situation, now you can control the emotions that follow. The same with a loud clap of thunder. It scares you. You weren't expecting it. But then you take a couple of seconds, you process, oh, it was thunder. Well, I don't need to be scared of that. It's just a storm and I'm inside. Now, if you're camping out in the woods with a metal rod holding up your tent, you probably need to worry. But at that point, you're at least controlling your emotions, even if you're still worried. You would have cause to be in that case. There are other caveats as well, but for now, it is enough to understand that we can control our emotions, accepting our proto-emotions. We can also control our actions, obviously not involuntary reflexes like when the doctor hits your knee with that little hammer, or sneezing, or shivering, or, you know, things like that, but we can control our voluntary actions. We can also control our thoughts, and there are caveats here as well. Just like with the proto-emotions, there are proto-thoughts, thoughts that seem to just randomly enter our minds when we're daydreaming, for example. And there are those other kinds of thoughts that are like forced thoughts, like when a person says, don't think of a giraffe wearing sneakers and sunglasses riding a skateboard. You're automatically going to think of a giraffe wearing sneakers and sunglasses riding a skateboard. But when we're actively thinking about a situation or a circumstance or a person, we can control those thoughts because we're actively thinking them and choosing to do so. Finally, we can control our attitudes. And I don't believe there are any proto-versions of attitudes, though I could be wrong. These are the limits of what we can control. Now, this doesn't mean we don't have the power to impact things that we don't control. For example, we cannot control who gets elected president, but we can have an impact. A recent local election here in Colorado, you might know the one I'm talking about, and if not, it's not necessary to clarify, the winner of that election won with just 500 more votes than their opponent. That is a pretty slim margin. So you can definitely impact things you can't control. This also doesn't mean you shouldn't care about things you can't control, even when you can't have any impact. For example, you can't control how your grandmother chooses to eat. Let's imagine she eats very unhealthfully. And maybe you can't have any impact either. She's stubborn. She's not going to listen to you. But you're still going to care because it's reasonable for you to do so. So the dichotomy of control doesn't say, care about the things you can control, and to hell with everything else. That's not the dichotomy of control. That's some social media influencer's silly misunderstanding of it. Now it's day three. On day three, you're going to come to grips with the concepts of virtue and indifferent, or the plural of that, indifference, E-N-T-S, in Stoicism. Virtue, to the Stoics, was the only good, and, luckily enough, the only thing that can damage your virtue is you. Why can't anything else damage your virtue? Well, quite simply, because nothing can touch it. It lives in your mind, your heart, or if you would prefer to think of it this way, your soul. No one can get at it. Only you have access to it. So if virtue is the only good, and no one but yourself can take it from you or damage it, then what are all other things in the world? Are they good? Well, they can't be good because to the Stoics, there's only one good right? That's virtue. So then they must be bad. 
Well, they can't be bad because to the Stoics, even though I haven't said it yet, I'm saying it now, there is only one bad, and they call that vice, or sometimes they say vicious. And vice is bad because it is how you hurt your virtue. And remember, no one can hurt your virtue but you, so no one can be vicious but you. So nothing else in the world can be bad either. Can't be good, can't be bad. Okay, so then what is everything else? An indifferent. It is an indifferent because it has an indifferent, or if you prefer, null effect on our virtue, on your virtue. The only good. The Stoics view external events, indifference, again the plural of indifferent, as inconsequential to their virtue. That is what they mean by indifferent or practicing indifference. This is powerful because it grants you, the individual, a ton of agency. It also gives you a ton of responsibility. No one can implicate you in viciousness, but no one can implicate you in virtuousness either. It's all on you. On day four, you have to reconcile all this and think about what it means. I'll shortcut it for you. It means you're a virtuous person when you act like one. You have the power to act like one, and no one can stop you from acting like one. So on day four, you might ask yourself, well, why should I act like one? If to be virtuous isn't enough of an answer for you, try this one on for size. Because you are a rational animal, and your reason, if practiced in good faith, will always guide you towards virtuous behavior. So you're going to reason that it's important to act virtuously, because virtue is the only good, and you, being a rational, reasonable person with a heart and a conscience, want to be a good person. So then that means you want to be a virtuous person. So then how do you be a virtuous person? And this brings us to day five, the day which finds you bringing it all together. The Stoics tell us that a virtuous person is identifiable by their bravery, their temperance, their wisdom, and their love of justice, these four cardinal virtues that I've talked about before on the podcast. Interestingly, the Stoics tell us that virtue comes first, and then the outward signs of virtue shine bright, metaphorically speaking, of course. Intellectually, that's hard to follow, though, isn't it? Because our inclination as contemporary human beings is that we achieve something through a sequence of tasks. So it's easier for us to think, oh, if I'm brave, just, wise, and temperate, then I am virtuous. When the truth is that when you are virtuous, you simply will be those other things. And this leaves the obvious question, but how do I become virtuous if not by doing those other things? It's confusing, but the answer lies in the previous days of our test drive. If we understand the dichotomy of control clearly, if we understand the concepts of virtue and indifference, and if we understand our predisposition towards reason, and if we execute on these understandings, then it is impossible not to act virtuously. Here's an example. An old man needs help crossing the street. He's got his arms full of grocery bags or something very cliche and stereotypical. You use your reason to determine that you're capable of helping him, and you recognize that helping him is in your control. So you walk over to him, and at first, he's a little stubborn. He's old, and he's proud, and he probably doesn't really want help, even though he knows he needs it in this case. A proto-emotion appears in your mind. It says, what a thankless old grump. But you recognize this proto-emotion and fire back with your reason. No, he's just proud. It's probably scary to need help, and maybe for him it's a little embarrassing. 
Maybe he was able to cross the street just fine on his own six months ago and now something's changed. Maybe this is hard for him. I think I understand why he's responding this way. And so you think further to yourself, I wonder if I make a joke or ask in a different way, he might soften towards me. I really would like to help him. I don't want to see him get hurt crossing the street. So you do. And he does soften. And he accepts your help. Your virtue is shining through. But you didn't do anything specific. There was no checklist. You just followed the concepts of Stoicism. You recognized what you could control. You reasoned that it was worth caring about. You fought back against proto-emotions while trying to execute. And in the end, you helped. Someone watching from afar, let's say across the street, could easily assume from the outward display that you might well be a virtuous person. But if they came over and asked you how you became that way, you couldn't exactly explain to them what you did, could you? You couldn't give them a checklist to replicate. You'd only be able to suggest some principles to them. Days 6 through 10 are the days you spend living your life in this new way. And when you return to Marcus's Rodeo Drive philosophy dealership, you say, I enjoyed that test drive. I think I'd like to take her home. And congratulations, you're a Stoic. Welcome to the club. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of Practical Stoicism. I appreciate you being here. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, just go ahead and hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're currently using to listen. That way you'll find out every time a new episode drops, which is every day. And if you've got a minute and you're enjoying the show, consider leaving it a review wherever you can. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Practical Stoicism. And until next time, take care. Take care.